So pastrami, if you've had the real thing, or if you haven't had the real thing, definitely check it out. Boy, if you can find it, I will eat it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 181 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Raj Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevTech.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Hesham. Is it Salman? Yeah, it's Hesham Salman. Do you want to introduce yourself real quickly for our... Absolutely. Uh, hello from New York City. My name is Hesham Salman. I am an iOS engineer at Vita Space. Awesome. And what do you do there? I basically just work on our iPhone and iPad applications, um, as well as the Rails backend. Oh, I knew I liked you. A double threat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we brought you on today. I, I read your article about migrating Swift 2 to Swift 3, and there was some discussion in there about maybe migrating to 2.3 instead of 3.0. I, I'm curious... You know, in the pre-call, I think James said something like, you just hit the button, you're done. End of episode. Uh, is there more to it than that? Oh, yeah, quite, quite a bit, actually. <laughs> so I guess the first thing is that, you know, the migration tool is really bang ha- happy. So the migration tool really enjoys to throw a lot of bangs into your code. So that's kind of problematic, but not the biggest deal. Um, so ba- bangs are the exclamation point, the... Uh... Implicitly unwrapped optionals, right? Yep, yep. Exactly. All right, just so we're all on the same page. But yeah, so like it, it likes to throw in a lot of those, but I guess really the a lot of the big issues with the migration tool are that it doesn't really warn you about the underlying API changes. So even if you're migrating to something like 2.3, where your code isn't going to change a whole lot, you might have like you know four or five lines that change in a very large project, you'll find that a lot of your functionality has changed like maybe views aren't appearing anymore um, that kind of thing that's problematic so what what's causing views to not appear so basically you know if you were doing things like setting layer effects or like corner radius in a did set of an IB outlet if that was like a computed property like you're setting it to half of its width or something like that then basically the view doesn't appear anymore and that's because the life cycle has changed a little bit. Okay, and that's the difference between Swift 2 and Swift 3? It's not an iOS thing? It's actually the difference between Swift 2.2 and Swift 2.3. I mean, it's the difference between moving from, you know, the APIs bundled with Xcode 7 to the APIs bundled with Xcode 8. Okay. Yeah, this is something we haven't had to deal with in a while. This was a thing earlier, you know, iOS 4, iOS 5, iOS 6, where things would just break. But I think... People got used to playing by the rules and doing things the Apple way versus reinventing things. But the layer stuff, that's that's pretty normal things that a lot of apps are doing. So that's I guess that's how it goes. But it's good to good to hear we have we know what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean it was a bit of a surprise for me when I migrated to two point three and noticed that all of my uh, circular UI views were just invisible. What do you mean your circular UI views? You know, so we were setting these UI views as like we were creating them as circles by basically setting their corner radius to half of their width oh, in, okay. the, in the did set property. And, you know, they, when, when we, after we migrated, uh, basically they just were invisible. Um, okay. So at that point you just file a radar and you're done, right? Yeah, you could do that. Or you could, you know, go in and just set it as like a hard coded number or doing it like later in the life cycle. Then that's also fine. Okay, probably a 
quicker solution. Yeah, but I mean, I guess largely the the, the transition to even just two point three was problematic because of these API changes. It's all it's it's pretty unusual. Like I think I've definitely gotten used to not having to worry about just random bits of functionality breaking uh, with an upgrade, even a minor language upgrade, right? Like we jumped from 2.1 to 2.2 and there were like basically no problems, but 2.2 to 2.3, even though it's minor, can have some real impact. Okay. What other problems are we having with 2.3 migrations? Other problems with 2.3, I mean, I guess that's the large one that I've noticed. Here's one. If you're using the call kit or what is now the call kit, the core telephony, if you're using core telephony and basically you have some sort of hook to, you know, do something after a phone call has ended in the new APIs, that'll fire immediately after the phone call ends, perhaps even before your application becomes active again. So if you are relying on that kind of hook, it no longer works. Okay. Well, good to know. So it's good to know that even if you're trying to go to 2.3 to save yourself some time, uh, you still you still could have some troubles, but most most people are concerned with the Swift three migration. I think a lot of people are going towards Swift three if if they can. What are what are the issues that people are having with Swift three? Well, I mean, the majority of the issues that you're going to run into, at least beyond just language syntax, are going to be things like basically API related. But beyond the API issues, like one of the first things I noticed when we made the jump is that the console has become very, very loud just while you're developing. Like, so many things get logged there, like things like, you know, power status of the device or any network activity, and it's very difficult to follow. So if you have, you know, like very verbose tests that have some console output, you're not going to be able to follow it anymore. And that's something that you can, you can disable that by going into your scheme and uh, setting a toggle for turning off the OS activity mode. Okay, very cool. I'm wondering a little bit because we have Swift 2.3 and Swift 3.0, and it seems like a lot of systems that I've used, they set up sort of the last minor version update of the previous major version to contain uh, steps or kind of an intermediate step to upgrading to the next major version. So in this case, it would be upgrading to 2.3, and then you get all the warnings and deprecations so that when you upgrade to 3.0, it tells you, hey, your code's going to work fine now because you've handled all of the warnings. Is is that the case with Swift 2.3, or would you want to just go straight to 3? You would want to go straight to 3 if you don't have an absolutely massive project. If your Swift code base is like, you know, like a reasonably manageable size, I mean, go ahead, please skip, just skip 2.3. There's no point in taking the intermediate step. Um, in that case. How but, reasonably managed is reasonably managed size? Oh, I don't know. I would say anything less than maybe 200 or so classes is, is fairly easy to migrate. Like that's something that you could do uh, in the span of, you know, a week or two. But, you know, in our case, you know, we have, oh, I don't know, something on the scale of like 800 or so files and classes, along with all their associated test files and all that jazz. And so for us, it wasn't very reasonable to just jump immediately to three. But, you know, taking the intermediate step, you're going to actually like fix a majority of the problems that you're going to encounter when you hit three because of the API changes. 
So what are the things we have to think about when we're making the upgrade? And I mean, to go to Xcode 8, you have to either go to 2.3 or 3. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are the things we have to worry about? Like in, in, in the sense of... Uh, like, well, for example, tool, uh, there, there's always a... There's always an Xcode dance around your dependencies, uh, CocoaPods. You know, your project files can get changed around. CocoaPods note doesn't work, or your external libraries are not compiling. You know, you had this dance every time you update first Xcode. Oh, absolutely. Uh, things like that. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. So you know, your dependencies might not actually be upgraded, right? Like so, in that case, you either have to upgrade them yourself or wait until they are upgraded. And then furthermore, like if you have private internal like pods, you know, for a while you couldn't actually upgrade them. Well, you, you could, but you couldn't release them. And thankfully, like the new version of CocoaPods um, allows you to do that now. When we upgraded just to 2.3, you know, CocoaPods at the time didn't support um, releasing an internal pod, like a private pod that was at version 2.3. Like we ended up having to fork uh, Cocoa Pods and uh, like get, give it that ability just until they update it and you know that sounds like an adventure. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a definite adventure into the Cocoa Pods code base, which is is actually pretty. It's it's actually pretty good. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty nice. It's a nice little Ruby code base. The the build tools and metaphors they have in there are pretty funny as well. Hasn't I think the the beta notes for uh, Xcode 8.2 announced that they will no longer support Swift 2.3. Anyone confirm that? Well, it's actually the last version that will support 2.3. Okay. So you can expect like 8.3 to stop supporting Swift 2.3. And then that presents like a little bit of a uh, deadline to upgrade to Swift 3.0. Right. So we're in November of 2016 now. When do we think? Xcode 8.3 will come out. Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, they've been releasing more or less like every six weeks, right? Um, so I'd probably give it like two months at the latest. Okay, so then a month or two of this episode coming out, new versions of Xcode are not going to be supporting 2.3. Should people panic in the streets, uh, full all-nighters for weeks and weeks, getting their code bases ready for Swift 3? Or what should we do? Well, um, if you aren't already at least on 2.3, do that first. Um, worst case scenario, you're just going to have to use 8.2 for like a little bit of extra time. But jumping to Swift 3.0, like there are things you can do to like ease the process, right? You know, um, things like having an explicit uh, first parameter name for any of the new functions you write, uh, or it's going to ease the process. And Beyond that, like, you know, what we ended up doing is we actually ran like a branch, like a like a long running upgrade branch where we just slowly started upgrading chunks and chunks of our project uh, until we had done the whole thing. And it can be a little bit tedious when there's also continuous development happening in 2.3. But um, that was the approach that we decided to take. So how do you manage the the merge issues between the two? I mean, I can see that if you're adding new features, you can sort of write things as compatibly as possible. But if you're fixing bugs or making changes in 2.3 and then you make a change on your 3.0 branch, I could see that being a little bit of a mess. 
Absolutely. Like it's not, it's not the easiest thing. Like honestly, like in an ideal world, um, in an ideal world, and this isn't actually possible in all cases, but halting new development for the, you know, spread or so that it takes to migrate to 3.0 is probably the best, the best approach. So just bite the bullet, do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the main thing. Okay. Now, do you have to update all your libraries at once? Like if you have uh, different dependencies, can they? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't use 2.3 libraries with 3.0 and vice versa. Basically every single version of Swift thus far has been incompatible with previous and future versions. And that's going to continue probably until Swift 4. So right now we've just got to basically like upgrade everything all at once. Anytime there's any update. Okay. Did you have any internal libraries you're supporting? We do. We do. We have a, we have a couple. Would you say to do those first? Absolutely. Okay. Um, The internal ones are pretty easy to upgrade just because, you know, they're, they're internal to you. The problem is really like external libraries. Some of them, you know, might never make the jump. And if they don't make the jump, then you probably have to consider, okay, am I going to do it myself? Or, you know, should I just jump off of this library? And, you know, like there's, there's nothing more stressful than trying to make that decision while like a looming upgrade deadline is uh, coming up. Yeah, that's always it's always been the trouble. Like I'm on I'm on their GitHub site. It's like, hey, it doesn't support Xcode three. Then I do it. Hey, it doesn't support with extra exclamation points. And you know, the last last commit was six months ago. Like, help's probably not coming. So you have to make the decision and either rewrite it or try and fix it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's definitely something you want to look into before uh, you're up against the clock. Um, and I know that we chose to jump off of a few libraries ourselves um, when we made the jump. I think that's kind of, how big is your your development team? We have let's see. At present, we have six engineers, six uh, iOS engineers. Okay. Yeah, at a certain size of a team, you know, a company, I see a lot of people is going away from the third party codes just because of this dance you have to do, and you're supporting someone else's code, and so I see people. Teams like this that are larger, writing their own tools. You know, if they need to do something, they're not really grabbing a cocoa pod anymore. They're they're run, they're doing their own implementation, which helps them avoid this. You know, the the version dance, the Xcode dance, and it also gives them more control over what they want to do. So they're not trying to fork and change an existing repository that other people are are relying on for different things. Absolutely, and you know, we've been we've been gravitating uh, a bit that way as well. Um, just because for some, for some cocoa pods, you know, support can be a little bit spotty or you can hide it behind a, another abstraction or, or protocol so you can switch it out easily. Oh, absolutely. We, we actually did that with our uh, push service. That's interesting. How, how does that work? Our push service? Or well, the, the, the abstraction. Sorry. Oh. You're, you're dealing with your own protocol based on what you want to do for push notifications. And how does that integrate with the, you know, the actual CocoaPod. Well, you know, in our case, you know, we we were using Zero Push initially, and they don't really exist anymore, but we were using Zero Push. And the way that we had it set up was so that, you know, the actual, you know, notification goes to our server, and our server would have uh, dispatched it out to 
the service. And so basically, in doing it that way, we weren't necessarily tied down to any one provider. So jumping providers at that point was pretty easy because ultimately, you know, all old clients were still sending to our server. So we just had to change our uh, server side code. So initially, when I hear about like abstracting things, it, it, it gets scary to me. But I think it makes sense on things like you're talking about push notifications. And a lot of companies are dealing with analytics, you know, third party providers that get bought up by Google and shut down. You know, it's just kind of the thing for things that are external to what we do, our code that just can go away or they don't work anymore or your your data team doesn't want to work with this analytics team anymore. Um, so push notifications are, are similar to that. So in that case, I think, you know, abstracting a protocol can make sense for a lot of companies. So you're not going through a bunch of code changes. You just you have like one class that actually handles the, the wrangling and the, the adaptation for what you're doing with like a push notification. Right. So then you just have push notification dot send. And if you switch providers, the switching of providers all happens within the push notification class. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right. You get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. But this is a scary thing to do to many, many things. So don't do it all the time. I don't do it very often, but there are certain cases where it works out pretty well. One thing that I'm wondering is, it sounds like you have or are in the process of doing an upgrade from Swift 2 to Swift 3. Do you want to just kind of walk us through what you did and what you ran into and, you know, kind of give us, I guess, the the fairy tale or the story behind uh, what you're trying to accomplish? Sure. So, you know, Initially, we were using Xcode 7, Swift 2.2, and when the new version of Xcode came out, when Swift 2.3 and 3.0 were released, we just didn't want to be, like, stuck using the old version of Xcode. We didn't want to be, like, um, trying to target, like, iOS 10 devices and not really being able to deploy to them without using test flight or something. And so we just decided to make the jump to 2.3. And when we did, you know, like we ran the migration tool and we were like, huh, like, you know, it only changes a few files, a couple of lines in each file. And it just seems super minor. And when we, when we ran it, like we, we just, you know, hit the run button. Uh, the first few things we noticed was like missing views and then, Almost immediately afterwards, you know, we noticed that things like push notifications and um, other like, you know, things that you set in your general permissioning 
are just not working anymore. And we realize that's because when you do this migration, um, all of your like app permissioning gets reset and your um, provisioning profile goes back to the wildcard profile. And so we lost all that functionality immediately. And so that was, that was a little bit scary to us because we were, we were initially wondering like, okay, did all this, did all these APIs just change in the background? What happened? This code looks fine. What's going on? And so it was a little bit scary uh, initially. The other thing that we started noticing is that, you know, we were just starting to get like these unexpected crashes in between devices of like different but basically like you know you might be fine on an ios 9 device but on ios 10 you're a little bit shaky and then once you make the upgrade to be you know ios 10 friendly you might be a little bit shaky on ios 8 so it becomes very difficult to sort of manage these um older older clients especially the further back you go like if you are still supporting ios 7 or eight with this new release, like you might find that a lot of things just stopped working. That's definitely true. Supporting older versions of iOS, at least uh, most companies will do like the current version and the previous version, which gets a big portion of users, but some companies have to support you know, two or three back. And that really increases your, your costs because you're doing this crazy dance, trying to get the test devices and the d- different versions. And it's hard to, it's hard to keep all the things working, especially if you're doing things in the, like the layers and things that aren't the bread and butter UI kit development. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, once we noticed that our push notifications and all that jazz was no longer working, you know, we, get, we, we got that all fixed up. We uh, repermissioned the app and uh, set everything up again. And basically we, we just kept developing in Swift 2.3 for some time. And, you know, we're in the process of jumping to 3.0. And I mean, the, like the first thing anyone is going to notice when you, when you do a 3.0 migration is that it looks really scary. Like even if you're just using the tool, it is really scary to do. I mean, like it's going to like try to eat your entire project. It's going to touch just about every single function in every single class that you've written. So, I mean, you, really like you just kind of have to go slow. You, you, you don't want to race through it. You don't want to, you know, introduce some bad code that you're going to have to find later because unlike the migration to 2.3, it's not something that you're going to be able to easily find in your, um, in your, in your commit log. So are there alternatives between, for, between, you know, just running it, running the migration? Can you do it one at a time? Does it make sense to just do it manually in some cases? I mean, what we ended up doing was a combination of automatic and manual. Like we used the automatic tool to kind of flag all the areas that needed changes. And from there, we actually just did it manually because like, again, the, the tool is just very bang happy. It, it, it really likes to um, throw in, you know, potential crashes into your application. So what, 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 are, we, what are we missing? From migrations, what else do we need to know? Well, um, other than dependencies, other than you know the some system calls have changed, like when they fire. I mean, I think I think that more or less covers it. So, is there a way cool. to test as you go when you update your tests, or do you run into the same kinds of issues in your tests that you run into in your code? 
No, you, you run absolutely into the same kinds of issues. I mean, you can't have a half upgraded test suite. And so the other thing is that a lot of these issues that um, affect, like a, a lot of these API issues, like are very difficult to test for. Because basically, like if you look, if, if, if let, let, let's say that you did the uh, circle view thing where you have the corner radius, you know, if you run that in your test, your test will pass. And even the visible, or um, the, I'm sorry, the hidden uh, Boolean of that view will be, you know, false. So it won't be a hidden view. It won't be invisible. It won't, you know, have the wrong corner radius. Um, and so these things can be very difficult to test for. So ultimately, you're, I mean, what we ended up having to do is we ended up having to do like a complete sweep of our application which was very time consuming and not, not pr- probably not the most efficient way to do it, but that's what we ended up having to do. Yeah. I'm not sure there's a way around it doing a complete manual sweep on cases like this because your unit tests aren't, or they shouldn't be testing the framework is doing what you expect it to do. Um, so if, when that changes, like your unit tests aren't going to, aren't going to catch it. And I'm not sure how you'd even design them to catch that type of thing. That would get a of the screen and, Doing it that way, which sounds incredibly tedious. So, I, yeah, I'm not sure how else you would do it. Do you have any ideas? I'm not completely certain. I mean, maybe a um, like a good view testing framework might catch it, but not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, I was asking more along the lines of if you already had an automated test suite, you have to up, update that too because it's code. And so, right. I was just wondering. Okay, so is it the same process for your tests or you, you know, are there other gotchas because the test framework has also been upgraded? It's absolutely going to be the same process in your tests. Overall, like the the one the one gotcha that we had is that um, Apple is basically now a little bit more strict with um, what is an optional method and what is not an optional method, and so basically our test suite wasn't catching some of that, but. So it would just fail with an error then? Right. So it could still give you indications, but the indications are, hey, there's a syntax problem here instead of a functionality problem. Yeah. Or even like in, in, in the case of a in the case of say a table view, you know, previously the height for header and section uh, method wasn't really I mean like it said it was required, but if you didn't implement it, like you were fine. Um but now if you don't have that implemented, like your your headers are just going to be completely invisible. Like they're just not going to appear. Um, so a good unit test would probably catch that. It would uh, it would tell you like, hey, you don't actually have any headers uh, for this section. But looking at the code, it isn't immediately obvious why. And so there's going to be like little things like that um, after you run your tests. Makes sense to me. So Jame already asked this, but does anyone else have anything else we should hit before we go to picks? I have a question. Um, so, so going forward, do you have any suggestions to mitigate these problems or the pain of when Swift 3X or Swift 4 comes out? I mean, all that we can really do is keep our keep our dependencies up to date and hope for the best. Unfortunately, like unless you're aware of like sort of like the language direction of the Swift language, uh, like its development and evolution, then there's not really much you can do to sort of prevent these future changes from sort of eating your project a little bit. 
Unless you have a crystal ball. If you can do that, then you're golden. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's an app for that, I'm sure. What will Swift 4 look like? Siri. Ask Siri. Get out your Magic 8 ball app. Well, you, I guess you could try to avoid some features that if you're following the language evolution, for example, uh, file private might be going away. So you might avoid that or just little things like that might help. Absolutely. Yeah. Look for features on the bubble that might be getting pull requested to be deprecated. So that's a good point. All right. Well, if there's not anything else, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Okay, sure. So I've got a couple of picks. I guess my first pick is the Quick testing framework. I've used uh, both Quick and XC tests pretty, pretty extensively, and I'm just a big fan of Quick because it's basically our spec. My other pick is Bell's Two Hearted Ale. Great beer. I'll give a plus one to both of those. We ain't got no R spec. <laughs> okay, you have to be an old Ruby dog like me to get that. But anyway. Jane, what are your picks? So I've got one pick. I'm going to pick real pastrami. Now, we were hanging out in San Francisco earlier this year with the, the guys from .NET Rocks and Richard Campbell, who's, who's a serious barbecue person. He does his own smoking. and I've been trying to do smoking too, but I, I, I got him talking on pastrami and how it's made and how it's totally different than what you buy in the store. And it's, it's smoked. You take corned beef and you smoke it. And if you really do, if you find the right stuff, it's amazing. And you won't ever want to touch like whatever that stuff you get at the deli is. So I had a chance to have some in San Francisco uh, during Dub Dub, and I found some amazing stuff. So we're going to New York City in a couple of weeks, and I'm gonna I'm gonna eat some pastrami because that's where they know where it's done. They know how it's done. So I'm looking forward to that. So pastrami, if you've had the real thing, or if you haven't had the real thing, definitely check it out. Boy, if you can find it, I will eat it. Uh, All right. I, I think there's plenty of places. Rod, what are your picks? Uh, let's see. To go along with Hesham's check, I will pick a tool called Swift Check, which is property-based uh, testing based on Quick Check and Haskell. Haskell, I used that uh, recently, and it worked really well, where it generates different values for your tests automatically. So that worked really well. And uh, then I'm going to pick World Series Game 7, the Chicago Cubs. Hopefully they end their 100-year goat curse and win games up. There we go. It's like a perfect matchup of two Cy Young candidates, which means it's going to be a blowout. <laughs> Some one of them is going to get destroyed. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. That's, that's my call. We'll, we'll check this in a month when this goes live. All right. Uh, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. First of all, I just want to let everybody know that I have I've gotten things together for the conferences. So the past conferences... I've decided I'm going to release the videos at six months after the conference. So iOS Remote Conf, I think we're getting close because I think that one was in April. So you'll be able to get them for free. You just have to put your email address in. And then you can also see the conferences for next year. And the call for proposals and tickets are on sale for iOS Remote Conf for 2017. And I decided to go with earlier bird tickets. I didn't know what else to call them. They are available up through my birthday, which is December 14th for $100. And then the price goes up from there to early bird tickets and then regular price tickets. So if you're looking at having your team come or uh, things like that, then definitely go ahead and get those tickets. I'm working on getting speakers lined up right now. I'm probably going to be reaching out to some people this afternoon. But yeah, uh, if you don't see any speakers, it's because I'm still working on it and it's six or so months away. The other pick I have is I've been listening on Audible to everything that Zig Ziglar has on there. 
Zig passed away a few years ago, but he's a motivational speaker. He mainly spoke about success, about selling, and about he had a bunch of stuff on like marriage and living living well. And it's just tremendous stuff. So I actually put together a spreadsheet with all of the materials that I was going to listen to from him. And it came out to about 140 hours of audio, which I didn't know when I made the goal. So I've basically been listening to him at two and a half speed for an hour every day to get through it all. But I'm really, really loving the Born to Win seminar. So if you're looking for a series on how to be successful and live life to the fullest, then this is a terrific series. It's 15 hours long, but like I said, on uh, the Audible app, you can play stuff up to 3x. Some of the audio, it tends to skip when I go to 3x, so I usually do it at 2.5 or 2, depending on who's speaking and how easy they are to understand. But yeah, he's really easy to follow at 2.5 speed, and the content is ridiculously awesome. So I'm going to pick that as well. And yeah, Hashem already did his picks. Uh, Do you want to share anything else or let people know how to follow you on Twitter or read your blog or things like that? Absolutely, sure. You can follow what, you know, uh, what, what I and the rest of my team say uh, at Building VTS, and you can follow me at What's a Software. That's my Twitter handle. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we'll catch you all next week. Yep. Great to be here.